you would, please take your Bibles out and turn them over to Romans chapter 15. There we continue our study this morning through this letter of Paul. It's, as, is, you are, as is clear by now that we are getting towards the end of it, kind of getting down to the last bit of instruction from the apostle before he gives his final his greetings and salutations and last-minute tidbits of things that he wanted to say before he finishes the letter. But, you know, we've been kind of making our way through looking at the different aspects of this letter and looking at the example of Christ and the hope that we have and, and the call to be proclaimers and even the unity of the church under the message of the gospel. And this morning, it kind of comes down to Paul delineating out for us, for the readers, this concepts of desire and duty. As, as In fact, you will see that printed in your bulletin as the title of the message is Duty and Desire, because those are two primary aspects of our lives that drive so much of what we do, kind of how we operate in life, how we evaluate different things, what is our duty, and what do we really want to do. And really, one of the main obstacles that you and I deal with in life in terms of duty is desire. It's letting what I want to do get in the way of what I should do. Now, it's a beautiful thing. It really is a beautiful thing when what I want to do is what I should do, but that's not always the case. Sometimes there are things that we want to do that are evil and we shouldn't do. And sometimes there are good things that we want to do that has to be delayed over things that we must do. And as Christians, I, I think specifically you and I really need to keep that motif, that paradigm in really good perspective. Because, beloved of God, there are a lot of things that we could do, right? There are many good things that we could do, but in the end, what we have to discern for ourselves through the Word of God and the indwelling Holy Spirit is this what I should be doing? Is this what I need to be doing? Is this the season for me to do X, Y, or Z? Now, that may sound horribly mundane, but when we look at the passage before us this morning, Paul is actually talking about that reality. There have been things I've wanted to do. There are some things I still want to do. I've been doing this because this is God's calling. My hope is to be able to do this. What that does for us is give us a real sense of how do we live our lives, right? There's an overarching authority. It's not just my whim and desire. There is a faithfulness aspect in my life, in your life, where we have to live submitted to what God is calling us to do. Now, sometimes we struggle to know what that is. And sometimes we're very clear on what that is, but we're just afraid to do it. Sometimes we're very clear on, that is, on what that is. We're not afraid. We just don't want to. And sometimes we do struggle with not knowing. Well, this morning as we read our passage together this morning, it is my hope that as we read this, we find some encouragement with regard to what it means to have duty and what it means to have desire and how we keep those in their proper perspective. So this morning, without further delay, we turn our attention now to the book of Romans, Romans chapter 15. This morning we'll look at verses 22 through 29. So beloved of God, this is God's infallible, inerrant word. This is the reason why I've so often been hindered from coming to you. But now, since I no longer have any room for work in these regions, and since I have longed for many years to come to you, I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain and be helped on my journey there by you, once I have enjoyed your company for a while. 
At present, however, I am going to Jerusalem, bringing aid to the saints. For Macedonia and Achaia, and Achaia have been pleased to make some contribution for the poor among the saints at Jerusalem. For they were pleased to do it, and indeed they owe it to them. For if the Gentiles have come to share in, the spiritual, in their spiritual blessings, they ought also to be of service to them in material blessings. When therefore I have completed this and have delivered to them what has been collected, I will leave for Spain by way of you. And I know that when I come to you, I will come in the fullness of the blessings of Christ. So ends the reading of God's word. May he add his blessing to it. Please pray with me. Father, we thank you this morning for your word and the simplicity of it, but the pragmatic nature of it. God, it it invites us to consider the duty and desire. It invites us to consider how we might live more faithfully with and for you and among your people. So help its arrow to hit the mark this morning. It's through Christ we pray. Amen. You know, one of the rich gifts of history, I've probably talked about it before up here, one of the rich gifts of history that we have is the correspondence from John Adams, who was the second president of the United States. We have almost every letter he ever wrote to different dignitaries, to different founding fathers, to his children, to his wife. He and, and, and Thomas Jefferson was another who understood the value of what might what we could mine from these letters if they were preserved and generations of people would be able to read them and, and hear about the formation of America and hear the struggle that went into the formation of America. And so in his letters, he's got letters to Thomas Jefferson. Probably some of the, my favorite things I've read in history are his back and forth with Thomas Jefferson as they're older and they're contemplating life as elderly men and they, they're kind of complaining about their aches and groaning about just regular mundane everyday things and then they'll slip in and, oh, by the way, we did help establish a new country the like of which has never been. I mean, so there's that. But one of the things that you read about in Adams is he had this internal conflict. He was a man driven by duty. You can read his biography that David McCullough wrote. It is fantastic. It is worthy, a worthy read. But he was a man who was, who was driven by duty. He was also driven by pride. Okay, let's just be honest. He, he, had, a, he had an arrogant streak to him. Um, his nickname, he was, a little, he was a little rotund. So his nickname was his rotundity. Um, people joked at his expense. When you read his letters to Abigail, his wife, you really see a conflict there. You see this guy who understands he has been uniquely placed and gifted to do what he's doing, to be in the revolutionary cause for America. But he's got this burning desire to be reunited with his wife. He really wants to be with Abigail. He's missing, he misses out on so much of his children's growth because he was in France or he was in the Netherlands or he was in all sorts of different places. But what I love is that he's driven by duty and this is for better or worse. And I'm not, I'm not arguing that it was always good. But you cannot escape. There's this overarching desire to get back to Braintree where his farm is and be Farmer John again. And so what he does for us in history is he bounces this idea of this guy who clearly understood he had a duty 
that didn't mitigate his desires. And so much of his duty was driven by a desire to get to a particular place or space or relationship. And I think that's exactly what Paul is doing for us here. In this, in this very personal part of the correspondence, he's getting at this notion, this idea that, man, I, I've been preaching the gospel, but I also have desires. I want to go to Spain. I want to come to Rome. I've got to get to Jerusalem. There are so many things that Paul is telling us here that I would like to do, but there is this moment where we realize that he's telling us there is also duty. And so this is a very human reality, right? This, he expresses something that should feel very familiar to us, right? You can, you can identify with this idea of having things you want to do, but things you have to do, and that sometimes the things you have to do are things you want to do, and sometimes they're not. And, and we live in that valley of having to weigh out and prioritize and, and figure out what needs to be done here and here and here and here. And, as we grow and mature, we understand that's how life works. There's so much we would like to do that has to be put off. And so here we get the proper perspective on what duty, how duty and desire work. Uh, we have desires. We have obligations. And so balancing those, balancing obligation, balancing that with desire is a very important aspect of our lives. Because here's the thing. Those obligations, those desires, they have to stay subject to Christ. Now, Paul, it's very easy for us to look at his, his desires are really good. He wants to see more people come to a knowledge of the truth. And so it, we look at this and we say, well, that, that's maybe a slightly more easy balance to strike. I might argue that it's maybe not. We could argue that it is. And yet the principle holds firm. That there's this idea that you and I are called to submit our obligations, to submit our desires to the will of Christ and follow that out in the way that He leads. And beloved, when we do that, that's going to make life beautiful and it's going to make life insanely difficult. Because when we really do let go and we submit those things to Christ, we do have to follow where He leads. For Paul having to go back to Jerusalem, one of the hotbeds of persecution of the church, I imagine that was a tough prospect. And then having to navigate Rome, given the political culture and staying true to his calling, that was also a tough prospect. Wanting to see lives changed and renewed by the gospel, but understanding it could cost you everything is a tough prospect. And yet, when we are submitting these things to the will of Christ, we have to walk in the reality of the blessings, the hardships, the dangers, and the safeties, and all of that goes with it when it comes to navigating this particular reality. Perspective is necessary, isn't it? Uh, perspective, it sounds all well and wise until someone gives you a perspective on something that you don't like. <laughs> right? We all have to get perspective on our lives. I have to get it, I have to give it, you have to get it, you have to give it. And it's this idea that it seems like it should be, it should be really easy for someone to give us perspective, but sometimes that perspective means that maybe we're off course. Maybe we are indulging a desire we shouldn't be indulging. Maybe we're not fulfilling an obligation that we should be fulfilling. Or maybe we're trying to fulfill an obligation that's not ours to fulfill. 
that perspective becomes necessary. Because desires are tricky, right? Desires can be tricky. Some desires, they feel like they're, they're purely personal things. I'm not saying that there's no godliness in them. I'm just saying that it's just things that I want to do. This is what I want to do. I would like to do this thing. And some desires are things that we get from the Lord. And so when we think about executing obligation or duty and realizing desires, we have to realize that these all become a matter of submission to Christ. Submission to Christ. Paul illustrates this beautifully here. That's exactly what he's talking about. However we seek to execute these things, the first question we must ask is, are these in submission to Christ? Is this a godly desire? Is this a a good obligation to obligate myself to? I know that's not necessarily correct grammar, but you get the point. And so with those thoughts in mind, there's one idea I want for us to see this morning, and it's this, that duty and desire are, in fact, under the lordship of Christ. That duty and desire are under the lordship of Christ. And so when we think about this kind of dichotomy, when we look at what it means to serve and what what it means to serve under sovereignty. So serving and sovereignty would be a great way to kind of think about this because every obligation or every desire we have, if if it's got to be submitted to the lordship of Christ, we know we are called into a service, but there is a sovereignty aspect to which we must operate under, under which we must operate. And so when we think about this, what Paul does for us here is on the very front end, he begins to talk about things that are plans. For this reason, or this is the reason why I have so often been hindered from coming to you. Right out of the gate, we know Paul has had some plans. And some of the plans that he's had have not been realized yet. And there are different reasons for that, some of which he lists here and some are not. But when he talks about this is the reason why I have been hindered. What is this? What is that this referring to? Well, it's actually, you'd have to go back to the previous paragraph where Paul talks about preaching the gospel where it had Christ had not already been named. Paul had talked about preaching the gospel from Jerusalem to Illyricum. In other words, as he's telling the Roman church, I've desired to come to you, but I've been hindered. What's he been hindered by? His duty to preach the word of God. His obligation to labor faithfully in the field in which God had presently placed him. It becomes easy to start looking at the next field with some anticipation and to forget that you are called in this season to be in the field that you're in. I struggle with that. You struggle with that. If you're a human being who's honest, you'll say you struggle with that. And Paul is telling us, I have had these desires, and yet I have been driven by my call to preach from Jerusalem to Illyricum. And so right out of the gate, one application point we have is we got to seek to honor God before fulfilling all of our desires. Again, I'm trying to run a, a real tight race here with trying to understand that some of the desires we have are from God and some are not, and trying to make sure that we understand that we have a calling in the Lord or, or God has put us in places for seasons for reasons, and we need to be asking how we can best serve in those ways. So he says that I have, I have been, I've, I, so I often have been hindered from coming to you. 
But now, since I no longer have any room for work in these regions, and since I have longed for many years to come to you, I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain. I'm going to stop right there. So Paul is getting at here, what is his first obligation? Most well, to serve the Lord. It's to serve the Lord in the way that God has called him to do it. I can't answer what that's going to look like for you. But that's going to be a very personal inquiry on your part. And a personal, how you work that out, it's going to depend on your context, what the Lord is, is leading you in, what, the, what your community around you is telling you, how you're seeking to serve God in this particular endeavor. But of all, we, of, of everything that we can say about it, what we have to say is that needs to be our first question. It's how, how can I serve the Lord where I'm placed? So when he says here, but now since I no longer have any room for work here, we might be tempted to think of that purely in negative terms. Well, like people are chasing him out. That's not the point. What Paul means to say here is that I've done what God has called me to do. I've done the prescribed work. I have preached from Jerusalem all the way up to the, the borders of Illyricum, getting on into Europe. And at this point now, I have done what I have felt the Lord's calling to do. So now I have room to begin to fulfill some of my desires. And what is his desire here? I mean, it's beautiful. He wants to see God's people. He wants to go to a church and be with God's people, to be encouraged by God's people, to encourage God's people, to encourage and be encouraged. And that's the beauty of Christian community. I've said this many times before. It's how, how do we, are we looking for opportunities to encourage as we are being encouraged? It's what Paul wants from this church. That's what we need from one another. That should be our primary ministry in this church is to encourage one another and receive encouragement from one another. And, recur and encouragement can be super-duper positive and really cheery, and sometimes it can be hard. But we need it, every one of us. So he says, I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain. Now, you're talking about from the Middle East over to Spain. So Paul has intentions at this point to go take the gospel into Spain, as far as Spain. And so what we have here is Paul telling us his next potential ministry spot. I'm going to go to Rome. I want to see the Roman church. And then I want to get to Spain. Do you know what this tells us right here? Well, one of the things it tells us, besides the fact that Paul wanted to go to Spain, which is the obvious thing. So I don't want to, I don't want to create it like there's only one thing it says to us. It says a few things. So, so there's one of the things that this says to us, besides the fact that Paul wants to go to Spain, is, beloved, that Paul has a vision for what can be. Now, I want to stop right here because this is an important aspect in biblical Christian community. So we should understand by this that Paul maybe hasn't been to Spain yet. Even if he had, that's beside the point. The point is, is he's looking at something that's even a little further distance and say, I see a place, and I'm thinking of a place, Rome has been reached, now beyond Rome, where we can begin to take the gospel. When you think about Christian community, it is filled with all different kinds of people with different kinds of gifts. I've said this before. It is filled with people who can come and build on what's already there. We'll call those, what, settlers who take the foundations and who build on that, settle. Paul, remember, was a pioneer. Paul was the guy who saw Spain for what might be, not what it is. Those people make me nervous. 
Those type of people make me, as a settler, nervous. And yet, we need them. We need the people in our midst who can see things for what they could be and not simply what they are. I don't want to make too much of this for Paul because I, I, don't, I don't want to get into a, a place of, of putting things in the text that aren't there. But when I read through this, I was struck by the reality that Paul is talking about going to the place, to a place where potentially Christ hasn't been named, not because he thinks it's going to be uh, bubblegum and cotton candy, because he sees a place, he looks at the church from Jerusalem to Illyricum, and he looks towards Europe. And he sees what can be instead of what it is. We should know at this point, Europe is dominated by pagan tribes of just the most barbaric sort. And so what Paul is looking at is not, wow, these people who run around naked are going to make great Christians. You know, these people who paint themselves blue and dye their hair with animal excrement are going to really be great and wonderful Bible scholars. No, Paul is looking at this and and realizing that if the gospel does its work there like it's done here, it's going to be something powerful and beautiful and explosive. And those of us who see things as they are, we need the people who see things as they can be. Because seeing things as they can be, we, 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 we form a delicate balance because sometimes people see things that can be that aren't realistic. And then sometimes people see things that can be that we need to have a little more faith. And so both, as Paul talks about this potential ministry in Spain, he's talking about something that can come to fruition under the leadership and direction of the Holy Spirit by the Word of God. He says, I hope to see you as I go to Spain and to be helped on my journey there by you once I have enjoyed your company for a while. So there's this hope. I want to see you. I want to be helped by you. I want to be encouraged by you. I want to help you. I want to encourage you. That's just the joy of community. It's just the beautiful joy of community, of, of, of living out the reality and truth of our faith together. And so when we think about what, is, what does that look like, what does what, what is, what is serving the community really look like, I think we need to back up from, sometimes we make it way more complex than it really is. How about time spent? Time spent is a great way that we serve the community. Practical help is a great way that we serve the community. Yes, we should be praying for one another. I always count myself a blessed man when friends, even who who are not in Gainesville, reach out and ask me to be praying with them about something. We need to be doing, that's part of Christian community. But in the immediate context, one of the ways in which we enjoy community best and serve one another best is through time spent and practical help. Practical help may be any number of different things. It may be physical labor with somebody, helping someone do things around their house. It may be helping keep kids so that others can do this. It may be uh, driving someone from here to there or giving someone an opportunity to stay in your home if things are uh, amiss at theirs or just simple hospitality, having people over for a meal. All these things are practical ways we can serve people. And this is what service in the body of Christ looks like. I'm not saying don't go out and encourage people with the truth. Yes, that's the bare minimum. What else do we do? We spend time and we help in practical ways. 
And so Paul continues to build. I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain and to be helped on my journey there by you once I have enjoyed your company for a while. At present, however, I'm going to Jerusalem bringing aid to the saints. Literally, literally, that bringing aid is, is delivering the fruit to the saints. That's what Paul says in the Greek Testament. It's, it's the fruit. Delivering aid gets the sense of it, so I'm not arguing with the way the ESV translated it. I'm just telling you that Paul saw his service to the saints as the fruit of investment. He's delivering this aid to, to the Jerusalem church as the, the fruit of investment. He's serving these saints. That is the basis of Christian ministry. When we think about our lives as Christians and what we do with and for one another, the word service should be the word that we think. We serve one another. Serve one another. And that can, be, that can look very different depending on the context. So he, he's going to Jerusalem. He's delivering the aid to the saints. But he talks about where that aid has come from. He's mentioned specifically Achaia and Macedonia have been pleased to make some contributions. So this fruit is the fruit of the labors and contributions of these other churches. Now why bring this up? Well, because Paul does. Paul talks about the churches, these two churches that would have been predominantly Gentile. And what do, what do they see their service to the community as? It's helping the poor saints in Jerusalem, i.e. predominantly Jewish brothers and sisters. What is Paul doing here <laughs> in an ancient way? He's talking about what the gospel does to racial barriers. It breaks them down. It destroys them. It moves them aside. It's at this moment, then, that what Paul is saying is these Gentile churches have helped these Jewish brothers and sisters because in Christ there is neither slave nor free, Jew nor Greek. There is one who is needy in Christ, and at this point we all become on the same playing field. And so that these Gentile churches have a joy in sharing the burdens of their brothers and sisters who are of a Jewish Heritage. Paul even argues that you've benefited spiritually from the truth that went out from Jerusalem, so it makes sense that you would help physically, that you would help the needs of these brothers and sisters. He gets at this principle, it's not only here, it's in other places, that spiritual flourishing is an impetus for physical blessing. If you are benefiting from spiritual realities, we can share our goods with one another, and in fact, should be doing that. That's what Paul's point is. They were pleased to do it. In other words, they didn't do this begrudgingly. They did it with love. Indeed, he says they owe it to them. Paul had no problem talking about the delivering of this fruit to this, church, to this group of people, he says, who deserved it. That's what Paul is saying. They owed it to them. This group of people deserved the help and the fruit and the service of the donations of these other brothers and sisters. It calls us into this radical view of community. Now, this is not to say that you should, we should serve or give without thought, unwisely, foolishly, and with no thought to the context or the consequences. Or Yeah, folks, we have to, we have to consider the context. Always, always, always. We live, though, however, in America in such a radically individualized society that sometimes, while this sounds well and good, it feels impossible to do. 
because we are convinced ourselves, and I'm an introvert, so what I'm about to say is consider the source is coming from an introvert. I need alone time. I really do. I recharge best when I have alone time. And, and sometimes when, when people want to press me to talk, I don't, I don't want to talk at that moment. I just want to internalize and, and just be, and just be and be silent. But I can take that and say that is my right and that's the only way and, and you should respect it. That's the only way for me to live and never really connect to community. And I can even feel good about myself doing it because, hey, that's just how I am. Or we can recognize we have to die to that. Yes, take some time for yourself. Yes, take some time and recharge your batteries, so to speak. But recognize we don't have a choice in this form of radical community where we are looking for active ways to serve one another and should be doing it with joy and should be doing it constantly and should be doing it for the, the joy and for the reality that we have benefited from the community of Christ in our own lives. So when we look at this, that there, Paul is delivering this harvest of blessing, this contribution of the saints, that he is being faithful in the face of the need of the church. Now, I am grateful. The chapel does this really well, I think. And I'm not, I mean, I'm proud of the way we handle a lot of things. And so in this, as I read this, I, I did, I, I pause and just thank God for our church and for the many people we have. We have some beautiful saints in this church, and I hope that you've experienced it like I have and my family has and other people have to see people, man, who will step up to the plate in time of need and very not needing thanks serve because they care and they love the Lord Jesus Christ. Beloved, we should never, ever, ever take that for granted, ever. Because that is something real and beautiful. That's when we understand that the gospel root of things is, has gotten into people's hearts and they see things as they should be. We're not perfect and we're not going to do it perfectly. But praise God that it happens. He goes on here. He says, They ought also to be of service to them in material blessings. So he makes that argument. Verse 28, When therefore I've completed this and have delivered to them what has been collected, uh, the fruit, there it is again, the fruit, I will leave for Spain by way of you. And I know that when I come to you, I will come in the fullness of the blessings of Christ. And so, after he's done his duty, verse 28, after, when this is done, when therefore I have completed, or literally after I have completed this, and ha after I've delivered them, that then he will come to you. So I love this what this tells us is a familiar idea that we will know that our steps are ordered that Paul saw his steps his life his obligations as ordered by God he had desires he wanted to go to Rome he wanted to go to Spain there was much he wanted to do but but he had he had a set obligation that he had to work out he had to get to Jerusalem had to deliver to the saints and so one of the one of the application questions I would encourage you to to ask is, am I open to going to where God will send me? And that, when you hear that, please don't mean that I think that means you have to leave Gainesville. That's not the point. The point is, am I open and ready to go into the situations and circumstances that God will send me to? Because that is 
as Christians what it means to serve in His community, what it means to serve in, the, in our world, that we will go where God will send us. And sometimes that's an attractive prospect and sometimes it's not. Sometimes that means a lot of fun and sometimes it means a season of real suffering. Sometimes that will be a great sense of joy and sometimes it means we will walk in constant lament. And brothers and sisters, I make, I make no comments to say, so just suck it up. Pain is pain and hardship is hardship and lament is lament. But I do say, are we willing to see what could be and go there rather than just stay where we are when we know exactly what we'll get? Sometimes God wants you to stay where you are where you know exactly what you'll get. Paul had clear direction, and he, he seeks this further clarity on duty. And so our primary concern should be about our obligations for and to God. What is God calling us to do? What can we do? How can we serve? What are some ways in which we can see things through the lenses of the gospel and recognize what could be? Again, not everybody is a visionary, and not everybody is supposed to be. I don't see things as they could be, and I actually don't feel bad about that. I mean, sometimes I, I can be a little whatever. Um, you fill in the blank there. Um, but I, but I, don't, I don't think that everybody has to be a visionary, but I do think everybody does need to walk by faith and realize that God is going to call us into some spaces that might be hard. And that doesn't mean He's not with us or He doesn't love us or this is clearly not from God because it's too difficult. What it means is, is I'm going to have to press into faith like never before. Paul ends this little paragraph by stating, and I know, I love this. I love what he says here. I know that when I come to you, I will come in the fullness of the blessing of Christ. Can you just wrap your mind around that for a second? Do you know why he's so confident in that? Because he knows he's walking in the, way, in the pathway that God has ordered for him. So I've been delayed. I've been hindered. I've wanted to come to you. I have visions for Spain. I can't wait to see your church. But because I'm walking in the path that God has ordered for me, I know when I come to you finally, I am going to be coming in the fullness, he says, of the blessing of Christ. Because I'm coming when it's time for me to arrive. And I will stay for the amount of time that God has for me there. And when I leave, it will be time for me to go. This is spoken like one who seeks the will of God, who subjugates his obligations and desires, and who looks for the leading of the Holy Spirit. Beloved, both duty and desire, they are subservient to God's reign. We live in a culture where desire rules everything, and especially duty. I don't want to do that. Why? Because I don't want to. Well, there are things I don't want to do, and I get it. But we have come to equate the want with the authority. If I don't want to do it, then it's authoritative. I shouldn't have to. Or because I want to do, it shouldn't matter what the repercussions are because I really want to do it. 
Why do you think lives crumble? Why do you think marriages fail or relationships fail or people get, get lost in addiction and all sorts of other wickedness and evil? It's because they've let desire rule the roost. They have equated desire with final and full authority, and they just give in to that. But we need to come to a place where we understand that all that immorality, it sells because the world says desires are way more important than anything else. Well, if that's what you feel like or that's what you want, then you have to take it. What about obligations, though? What about promises? What about covenants? What about promises that we make in relationships and, and marriage? And, and, and what about these other things that sometimes they don't feel good, yet we're called to them? It's a, it's a beautiful summation of the Christian life. That we have to bring desire under the lordship of Christ. That desire fulfilled in our world seems to be the highest good, but not in God's economy. In God's economy, we have to order our desires because disordered desires lead to death. They lead to death in me and you and everybody. How many of us, I'm not asking for anybody to raise their hand, so. But how many of us, if we were honest, we really wanted to be transparent, we could say, yeah, I can tell you a story of desire leading to death. In fact, I could write a book on it. I could write a book on it. But I think we all know what it's like to have desires take us straight to hell and back. Because we've done it. Not literally to hell, but to a bad place. In God's economy, He compels us to submit these things to Him. And so that whether you and I are driven by duty or desire, our lives are lived in submission to Jesus Christ. Paul demonstrates this beautifully here. Beautifully. Paul wasn't perfect, but he demonstrates this beautifully. That God has given us a sense of duty. He's given us real desires to pursue. These are never, ever, ever done at the expense of fidelity. When desire causes us to sacrifice fidelity, beloved, get rid of it. It's bad. It needs to be brought under the lordship of Christ. And so we're called to be servants of the gospel both in what we do and in what we desire. And may that be true of us. Please pray with me. Father, thanks. Thank you. Thank you for this. Thank you for this reminder. It's poignant. It's convicting. It draws us back to a, a place of central truth. And so, Lord, we confess together that sometimes we let desires run amok. Sometimes we sacrifice fidelity for them. Father, sometimes we are so driven by obligation that we lose sight of people. Sometimes we are so driven by obligation that we lose sight of where we really need to be. Father, forgive us for not seeing things as they can be. But also forgive us for not being faithful in the building up of what we have in front of us. May we all, Father, find you enough to serve you, to live for you, and to submit all our obligations and desires solely to you. It's through Christ we pray. Amen.